Welcome to A Smarter You, a University of Lynchburg podcast. Today we're going to be taking a closer listen to music and asking how a song can start a revolution. I'm Justin Cummings, and today I'm joined by Professor of History, Dr. Lindsay Mickey. Hello. And one of her students, Christine Moore. Hi. So today we're going to be getting into, like I said, how music can start a revolution. But before we really dive into that, Dr. Mickey, what kind of music do you listen to? Well, I grew up listening to all kinds of different music. Uh, I I really liked listening to uh, R&B and soul and rock and pop, but also jazz and classical. But in the last 10 or 15 years, I've been listening a lot to uh, hip hop and rap music. Mostly the woke, though, not the trap. What uh, what made you decide to start doing research, not just listening to and enjoying music, but actually doing some research on it and then teaching about it? Well, um, I lived in South Africa for a while, and I, when I was teaching over there, I was also working as a photojournalist, and so I was covering a lot of events and demonstrations during a time that apartheid was ending, so there was a lot of revolution in the air, and I noticed that music kind of punctuated every single event that happened, and I it sort of got into my head how important music is as an element in any kind of resistance movement. So... You're teaching a class this upcoming fall about this that's specifically for first-year students. Why Why do you think this is a good class for first-year students? Well, this class is part of the new Dell program, the general education program that we're starting this year. And it's part of something called the uh, Integrative Seminar Series. And these are seminars that introduce a topic that's not necessarily wedded to one um, discipline like history or English or whatever, but get students thinking about uh, a topic on a different level. And so the, the topic of mine is can music start a revolution? And it takes into consideration music and lyrics and history and politics and mm-hmm. social movements. And so it's a way to sort of listen to music in a different way. So you already taught a very similar class as an upper level class. Yes. And Christine, you took that class, correct? Yes. So Although your professor is sitting right next to you, what did you think of this class when you took it? Uh, be as honest as you can. It is the best class that I've taken so far at Lynchburg. Um, it's something that I recommend to anyone that would be willing to take it because I think there's a stigma against, oh, history is just the facts and it tells about our past and that's all it is. Whereas this takes a different look at it because music is something that we listen to from we can listen to music from the 60s, we can listen to music that was released last week, and they have different meanings to it, and it kind of brings the history to light in like a pop culture kind of way. So, Dr. Mickey, what can music actually do to start a revolution? I know we're going to get into this more as we kind of get into specific songs, but overall, what makes it a powerful tool? Well, it's sort of a way that... Uh, um it's something that unites people, I think, in a way that maybe a political speech or uh, reading a pamphlet may not. There's something that music, everybody has an opinion about music. Everyone feels strongly in some way or another, and they respond well to music. So as one, I think it was a resistance activist in South Africa said, I could give you a whole long political speech on why apartheid in South Africa is uh, so um oppressive and wrong he said but if i could start singing a song about it he said it it people respond to that more readily and they're like yes i get you death under apartheid kind of thing 
So, Christine, I'm going to throw you in the hot seat here for a second. Uh, keeping in mind the person that gave you this assignment is sitting right next to you. <laughs> what are the ways that music can start a revolution? So there are multiple different ways. And Dr. Mickey kind of covered one about uniting the people. But there's others like telling a story, calling to action, a hidden message, preserving their identity, and causing chaos. All right. So we're going to kind of go through these one by one. And we're going to look at what these actually mean and how this affects the way that we listen to music. So let's start with the first one, tell a story. That's pretty obvious, uh, <laughs> but just in case that's not what it sounds like, Christine, can you kind of tell me what that means? Well, telling a story, as you said, is kind of self-explanatory. And it can pick a point in time that the like singer has experienced something or the gist of a situation as a whole. So like the one song that kind of sticks out for telling a story is uh, Strange Fruit by Billie Holiday. It was written by Abel Maripol, and he, he had saw seen a photo of a lynching uh, at his time like a, it, that had just happened, and it, it so disturbed him that he, he wrote a poem about it, then he put it to music, and then he brought it to Billie Holiday, and she was determined to sing it. Southern trees bear a strange fruit, blood on the leaves and blood at the root, black bodies swinging in the southern breeze, strange fruit hanging from the poplar tree. This is probably the only one I can chime in the most because I wrote a paper on this, I guess actually the original poem per se for a literature class I took. <laughs> and this is a hard listen. Like this song is not pleasant. I mean, it's beautifully sung, but the lyrics are very, very unpleasant. Uh, what, what about that do you think is going to actually make a change? What about the fact that it's not sugarcoating anything? Why... Why do we need the hard truth sometimes? Um, I think, like you mentioned, like the, it's hard to listen to, like with the lyrics and stuff. Like there's a point where she talks about blood dripping on the leaves. It's not something that it's just talking about. Like it kind of invokes a reaction. Like you, you know, you see these things like during the time period, like seeing lynchings, and you know it's happening, and it's kind of like the fear of that it might be you next, but also the anger of like this shouldn't be happening, and it kind of strikes a chord and people would be like, well, I want to do something about it. Right. And apparently whenever she sang it, because she had to fight to sing it mm -hmm. at like popular clubs where they didn't want to hear something like that, they would lower the lights. They would say no applause. And, and, you know, there were certain rules as to how it was sung and it would always be at the very end of her set. That's, that's so amazing. Just the, the, the live aspect of that as well. You know, it's not just the song, it's the presentation. Um, and, we see presentation more today, I guess, in the music video, mm -hmm. which the other songs that we're talking about from this category do have, if they don't have music videos, they're from the era of the music video. So you want to talk about Pain by Tupac? They never take me alive, I'm getting high with my profile. Cocked on these suckers, time to die. Even as a youngster, causing ruckus on the back of the bus. I was a fool all through high school, kicking 
Laying up dust for now, I'm labeled as a troublemaker. Who can you blame? Smoking weed help me take away the bank. So I'm hopeless, rolling down the freeway, swerving. Don't worry, I'm about to crash upon the curb, cause my business blurry. Maybe if they try to understand me, what should I do? I had to feed my family. What else yes, I do? Um, this is a song. This is one of my favorite songs by Tupac, and it's also telling a story. And uh, when he released it, it was a time when a lot of stories weren't coming out about what life was like. Life to a lot of people, as they say, as they would describe it, in the hood or in these projects were um, like a war zone, basically. And so uh, it it was an explanation, kind of like NWA uh, argued as well, that this is what our life is like, basically. Mm -hmm. And so... You can call us hoods, you can call us thugs, you know, you can call us criminals, but we're a product of how we've been made to live, and we're in pain, basically. What do you think is important about that? I think both of these examples show kind of bringing to light something a lot of people would want to ignore. Do you think think it's important that everyone hears these kinds of stories, or do you think it's more important for the people who maybe identify with these stories? I think it's both sides like i think it's a way for the artists to tell the story and get their own side like personal side of it out but it's also on the other side with like tupac or with nwa it's telling the truth behind things because in the media you can see it you can see like the police having raids or you can see the lynchings but they're telling their truth of the story so what was the second message again that can be spread through music. A call to action. What do you mean by that? <laughs> um, it's pretty much just as it kind of like the first one explains itself. It's calling either the people or the government or people that can get things done to do something about the wrongs that are happening. And what song are we looking at for this particular message, Dr. Mickey? Uh, this is a song called uh, Free Nelson Mandela that was released in the 1980s by a British group called The Specials. just about the time that there was a kind of international attention and pressure being put on South Africa through um, boycotts and through disinvestment. And a lot of it centered around the idea, the the symbolism of letting the man who sort of symbolized or represented uh, the anti-apartheid movement, Nelson Mandela, uh, setting him free from prison. And it was a way not only of calling on action because it wasn't like the apartheid government would hear them sing mm-hmm. this and say, oh, okay, we'll let them go. Um, but it was a, a way, again, of bringing awareness to people who may not know about Nelson Mandela or what he represented and increase that pressure in other ways on the government so that eventually they did uh, free Nelson Mandela, not to say that the song was the right. reason. But Do you think yeah. the song, like you said, it was recorded by a British group. Do you think it had more impact on other nations than being aware of what was happening in South Africa or had more of an impact in South Africa by kind of the people, the 
people hearing it, not necessarily the government. Well, still at that time, there was a a great amount of censorship. So Mm -hmm. it would often be hard for people in South Africa to hear that song, but it would be an act of revolution if they could, if they got hold of it and listened to it. So I would say in many ways it was more impactful in getting uh, people from other countries to put pressure on South Africa. Yeah, and I think something that the specials do with it to get the song heard is when you listen to it, it's very catchy. Like it Mm -hmm. makes me want to dance kind of. and It's a lot more pleasant to hear. Yeah, and so at first it'll catch someone's ear because it's like, oh, like it has a nice beat, it's good. But then when you take it to the next step and you actually listen to the lyrics, it it calls for his release and how he's been Mm -hmm. in prison for 20 years and things like that. So it gets a little bit deeper when the more you look into it. What other kinds of songs do this that's kind of called action? I can think of a couple, but what, uh, you teach the class, what else would you look at in the class setting? Oh, you put me on the spot there. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to think of a, um, well, a lot of the, well, we'll be talking about some of the civil rights uh, anthems, and uh, a lot of them uh, would be a call to action as well. It'd be a call to action on the people as well as a call to action on the government. And one I can think about is with the Vietnam, like how the hippies kind of had a hand in how people were reacting to it with Buffalo Springfield for what it's worth. It's It's saying like, look around, like, look what's happening. And the song originally was written in uh, response to the curfew riots that were happening in California because they were, like, the hippies were out, like, doing drugs or drinking alcohol, and so they were trying to have a curfew implemented so they couldn't be out doing things. So, but if you just listen to the lyrics, it talks about, like, you need to stop and look around to what's happening, and that's calling to action to, like, actually see what's going on around yeah i think marvin Gaye's what's going on mm-hmm. is kind of like that too even though it's kind of telling the story but it's saying we need to do something about mm-hmm. this too yeah i feel like there's a lot that are more i guess more rhetorical like mm-hmm. whereas free nelson mandela is very direct um fight the power another mm-hmm. very direct That's whereas something one. like um Blown in the Wind by Bob Dylan would be a lot more kind of rhetorical, asking yeah. like asking a question and kind of, you're supposed to put it together, that you yes. should do something. Yeah, I think Public Enemy is a great example of mm-hmm. that type of music. With with Spike Lee being back in the public spotlight, mm-hmm. I do the right thing is on my mind. Yes. <laughs> and that movie definitely was a call to action, and the music in that movie was a call to action. So the third way that you said music can start a revolution is through a hidden message. Um, the song you chose for this is one I had never heard. Can you tell me a bit about it? Well, it's a song by a Chinese, probably one of the most famous Chinese uh, uh, rock stars called Shui Jian. Um, and he's always had a difficult position because in China, you know, you've got to sort of tread that thin line mm-hmm. between uh, protesting but then not getting arrested or censored or cracked down on. And so a lot of his songs have double meanings or hidden meanings. And that's often a way that uh, resistance movements operate when they know that if they say too much, then they can be shut down. Then uh, they 
give a message in code. And this particular one is a piece of red cloth and he always wears a kind of blindfold of red cloth around his eyes when he sings this song. So it could have different meanings, uh, like it could just mean that red is a symbol for romance in China, but it also is a symbol for the Communist Party right. and authority, and it's sort of like shutting, it's, he's representing them being blinded or shut down. Uh, yeah. by the government. It's like if he's ever asked by you can be like, oh, you know, I'm being blindfolded by love, I'm being shackled yes. by love, but you kind of know what he actually right. means. You know what's yes. going on there. And there's a great example in South Africa where often they would sing in their own language and so right. the white authorities wouldn't hear them and they'd hear them singing a happy song and they'd, they'd kind of clap along and they didn't know that the Africans were singing, we will kill you, we will right. shoot you. <laughs> I mean, it got an English version at one point, but when you say that, all I can ever think is um, 99 Luft Balloons, um, mm -hmm. song about mutually assured destruction and nuclear war, but being sung in German... You hear it and you're like, oh, yeah, it's boppy, it's catchy, and it's really depressing, actually, yes. about, like, we're all going to die. Yes. Like, kind of that, that nuclear Cold <laughs> yes. War crisis. Um, do, you, do you think that singing in your own language in this kind of era now of Google Translate, do you think that's kind of lost some of its power? What do you think? Well, with, like, some of the songs with, like, the hidden message, like, Lucky Dubé was slave. Like in the song, he, he'll sing it as like he's a slave to alcohol and how mm -hmm. he's like an alcoholic. So on a recording, it's said one way, but when it's in person, they switch it to another way. So in person, like I guess you could try to Google Translate. Like to, you're still gonna have, you know, they can they can have a live version and a recorded version. Yeah, like they yeah. can still get around that. Like there's always. People will always outsmart whatever system's trying yeah. to stop them. Like, that's just the way that it works. And it, in, in Lucky Dubé's song, that's a great example. It, it sounds so similar because he sings in the lyrics, I'm a liquor slave. But in live, he would sing, I'm a legal slave. And so you'd have to really listen to catch mm -hmm. that. But all his fans would sing legal slave. Mm -hmm. So they were in on it. Do you think? Do you think that that's kind of what you have to do now is kind of that word of mouth. Like it seems so archaic now of, oh, we're going to spread a message word of mouth as opposed to say on the internet. Do you, do you think that's kind of what we've gone back to now with the era of concerts and with the era of kind of like you were saying, a live interpretation instead of the recorded? Well, I think it's safer because just about <laughs> anything you do, even if you think you're not being recorded, you might be. And so, you know, I don't know. What do you think, Christine? I think the word of mouth is a little more powerful because I think it's something that's more empowering where if you're told like this is going on and then you take the information and you pass it on, like it kind of builds that connection more. Whereas like, I know it's like a very old thing to say, but like when it's over text or over social media platforms, it can, the message of the whole thing and the strength of it kind of right. can get lost. Let's talk about the next way that music can start a revolution. So uniting people, this is a little less 
I guess this is a little, I don't want to say it's a more peaceful one, but it is going to be a little more hopeful, I guess, often. Uh, what do you think about that? Dr. Mickey, do you think it's a more hopeful angle, or do you think there's still a lot of that kind of anger to it? Well, it's so often with these songs is the context that they were sung in, mm -hmm. and so Ain't Gonna Let Nobody Turn Me Around started out as a spiritual. was taught by Reverend Alvin Abernathy at a mass meeting in Georgia in the 1960s. And um, it took off and it was used in all the demonstrations. And one, and one of the ways that it's uniting is in the face of the violence that comes at the demonstrators. So they would often change the lyrics like, ain't gonna let no, you know, policeman turn me around, ain't gonna let no um, racism turn me around. Right. And so... Uh, the, the singing was threatening to the authorities. They would lock them up in jail and say, sing your protest songs now you know, right. to them. But they would continue to sing it even in prison. So it, the lyrics themselves are pre is pretty straightforward. But the context that it was used in was, you know, pretty um, aggressive. Yeah. So. And another way, like, it's another spiritual, but it was also used during the civil rights movement in America is We Shall Overcome, which was used as like a gospel song. And when they started doing their marches or their sit-ins and things like things like that, um, they would sing this. And it was a way that since it was a gospel, almost everyone already knew at least like the melody to it. And then if the words changed, then you just kind of went along with it. And it was uniting just not for the marches, but also... Um, I just blanked on the president who used it. Johnson. Johnson. In one of his speeches to uh, Congress, he says, we shall overcome this. And actually, in Martin Luther King's last sermon that he gave before he was killed, he talks about how he was singing this and he was going to sing this song like into glory. Right. So even away from like the protest side of things in church or in government, like this was being used as a way to unite the people behind the fight. So that's actually a really interesting angle. You bring up the lyrics being taken out of the song context and then being repurposed into either a motto or just a standalone saying, uh, what do you think is the power of the lyrics being taken away from the song? Do you think that it loses meaning being separated from the song or do you think it almost gains strength? Uh, Dr. McKee can go first on this one. Um. Uh, so if I understand the question right, it's sort of, does do the lyrics themselves stand on their own no matter what the context they're right, so, using, used in? So is, which, which would be more powerful ultimately, hearing the song We Shall Overcome or uh, someone like Reverend King using that in his sermon, just that one phrase, kind of oh, that allusion to the song? I think this the song is definitely powerful and then him using it adds to the power. Like if no one knew the context of what right. he was saying, it wouldn't be so powerful, but they're already used to singing that song and then they hear him sing it and then they hear the president saying it, we shall overcome, then it becomes even more powerful. Has there been any kind of, I guess, modern comparison to that, say since the 2000s? 
Or is that just not something that's really happened again since? The use of song lyrics. I'll have to get back by like, to you By like a that. president especially. Like, oh. Have we seen that again? I mean, I'm well, sure that I, other people have used song lyrics. Yeah. But. I think what one thing that was interesting that changed was when Obama ran for president. Until that time, a lot of the lyrics and music of hip hop and rap was considered bad. Like you wouldn't attach, you wouldn't. You know, um, like Tipper Gore uh, yes. uh, uh, launched a crusade against rap and hip hop music. But now you have a candidate who's embracing it and not just for political reasons, but because he actually genuinely likes it. And so sometimes you would hear him reference those songs like he talks about brushing the dirt off his shoulder. Right. Uh, referencing Jay-Z. So that's something that really changed in many ways the public uh discussion and view of rap and hip-hop music you know it became a sort of an accepted part of our culture in many ways i mean he became i i believe and i could be wrong i hope i'm not wrong but mm -hmm. i believe he became the first president to actually appear on a hip-hop album when he appeared on one of the hamilton uh broadway remix right. albums yeah. um reciting a george washington george washington's inauguration speech though in reviewing the incidents of my administration I am unconscious of intentional error. I'm nevertheless too sensible of my defects not to think it probable that I may have committed many errors. I shall also carry with me the hope that my country will view them with indulgence. And so kind of that, it's really come full circle mm -hmm. now in that he started off just referencing lyrics and now like he's, you know, he's accepted part in this, like a president appearing in a song. It's right. the song itself isn't protest per se, but there's definitely a meaning there, you know, hearing right. a modern president speak the words of the first president. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually gonna bring that point up. Like he had the cast of Hamilton come in right. to the White House and sing some of their songs for like high school students and things like that. And like previous presidents didn't do that, especially with Hamilton. I'm getting a little off track, being more rap and hip hop on a Broadway side. Like Broadway's known for like Phantom of the Opera right. and things like that. Uh -huh. And they were showing like there's more to it also. I mean, I'm not mad to talk about Hamilton whatsoever. <laughs> and, and actually it fits with Uniting because uh, there was the famous, speaking of live versus recording, mm -hmm. if you just listen to the Broadway recording of Hamilton, you're not going to hear this, but... Uh, there was that live instance where Mike Pence was at the okay. show and the cast did like an extra kind of message of uniting of Mr. Vice President. We hope that you've learned from this, this idea of America, what it means to be America and the holistic sense of America and kind of that uniting aspect. And I think, I mean, that play has definitely done a lot in this regard mm -hmm. of, and I mean, you want to talk, tell a story, musicals are going to be right. kind of yeah. your right. go-to. Uh, that that was a tangent, but I'm very happy that we had it. Like, I, it's it's definitely a very interesting interesting angle. Let's talk about the next aspect, which is preserving identity. What song are we looking at for this? Well, this is a song called Kiev Katcha. It's a uh, Ukrainian song, and um, it's an old folk song. And the idea behind this aspect of of protest music is that oftentimes in in times of oppression. 
somebody's identity gets erased or censored or disappears, like Native Americans, for example, feel like they're losing their culture and their heritage. And so this particular uh, song is sort of a restatement of that in the face of oppression, especially from Russia, uh, you know, Russia kind of trying to take over Ukraine. So we watched it in, well, I'll say watch. We, the recording that we used in class was a video of a contestant from The Voice in the Ukraine. Mm -hmm. So she comes out with her instrument. and I don't know exactly what it was. It's kind of like a harp, but not exactly a harp. And so like obviously everyone knows The Voice, like the, right, the judges' the... backs are to them. But she starts singing and you can see as like the uh cameras pan around to the audience and to the judges like everyone has this like kind of mournful look on their faces and they're also like a little bit shocked that she chose to perform this song and then there becomes a point where the entire audience just stands right and one of the judges gets like tears in her eyes and she stands with the crowd and a couple of the other judges will stand and they just all stood there like in peace into the song and it, like just watching the video itself and seeing how much of an effect it had on the people just there was kind of like breathtaking. And it, I mean, I didn't know what the story was going into mm -hmm. it or anything like that, but I could tell like it meant a lot to them. And I think it's one of those things that you wouldn't expect. You know, we tune into the voice and I've seen some of the foreign versions of the voice. I think I've seen a little bit of the Russian and it's a lot of what you're going to get in the American version. You're still going to get songs like, I heard Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin on the Russian version of The Voice. Like, you're, it's, a, it's still about the singing, and you don't expect to hear something so poignant and so, I guess, in that case, politically charged mm -hmm. on a competition like this. And I think mm -hmm. there's a certain credence to that. Uh, Dr. Mickey, is there a reason you chose that version of the song to play over any other? Well, uh, Christine, actually, uh, we there were several versions that we heard in the class. We actually had a guest speaker, Dr. Carradine, came in and talked okay. about this. And she gave us a couple versions and another song that was about the Maiden Massacre, which was a student uprising. Uh, but this, I think, uh, particularly was touching to the students in the class. I may be wrong, but I think that's I the think case. It, yeah. Let's kind of move into the, the final message. Uh, a lot less peaceful and tranquil, <laughs> uh, causing chaos. Um, what do you mean by that? Uh, well, this is a kind of music, uh, and it has to do with the fact that every generation is going to rebel against the previous generation, and usually the part of the rebellion is doing something to shock or upset the previous generation. And I think the punk generation in particular was especially talented and shocking and horrifying uh, the previous generation, but a lot of it was in disillusionment with the previous generation and with their economic situation and uh, unemployment, especially in the United Kingdom. 
But also part of the rebellion was we're not going to be slick musicians. We don't know how to play a, an instrument. We're going to just get up and shout and perform and get people excited. And that's pretty much what they did. Can you give me a, a year for this? It was in the late 70s. So this was after kind of the kind of the clean cutness of the Beatles after. Oh, after that was shocking the, at one point, too. Uh, so. That's <laughs> stunning to me. Yes. An, an, an era where the Beatles were shocking. Yes. So what do you think is kind of the importance of the punk movement in Britain and these songs in particular? Can you say the question again? Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Why, why, why basically is this song worth looking at? Why is the punk movement and songs like this worth studying? Well, so I didn't really know much about the punk movement. So it was interesting for me to study and like learn about it because it was very much underground like literally and figuratively like they did this not just out in the open like oh like as like a screw you to the past generation it was they kind of let little messages out that they were going to do something downstairs somewhere like in a like a bar something like that and then they would start performing and it would like the crowd would just turn to a mosh pit like there was fighting and there were like like where you've seen like crowds move as like a group and they all kind of like do things the same is what happened with these people and there's a quote by one of the artists that says like we were doing this as like a rebellion like we didn't care what anyone thought and we were just doing it so their main point wasn't to become popular and for their songs to be heard it was really just as like a like we're doing our own thing so what song in particular from this movement are we uh, are we listening to today well, the most famous one is Anarchy in the UK, where it's basically the Sex Pistols kind of screaming, I am an anarchist, I am an antichrist. face of of um so many sort of established you know middle class older generation right. and um and and i was going to say they they really didn't care what their audience thought like it was fine for the same sometimes they would spit on their audience you know as part of their right. performance you know so it was really all about just making this incredibly anarchic statement you know about themselves and about music and and everything fell apart for them once they started to become popular and famous and you know speaking of yes. anarchists that fell apart once they yeah. become popular and famous yes. uh, what do you think is kind of the influence of this on like a nirvana per se oh definitely a lot of later artists were definitely influenced by the punk movement you know including mm -hmm. green day you know sort of like a more modern version of what they're doing more toned down in many ways yeah. um but uh you know later on joe strummer of the clash for example they went on to become a fairly successful group but he did say you know i can't believe we became the people we tried to destroy right and that's one of the key weapons i think of an of a of an oppressive what's seen as an oppressive or a regular government is or society is they can mainstream uh um uh music so that it becomes so popular that it loses its power 
what so let's let's move from discussing particular songs uh you are teaching a class on this why is this something important for the average person to learn about and to know like we don't live in 70s england we don't live in uh, apartheid south africa we don't live in communist china why is it important for kind of the average student in america to to be aware of these ideas and the ways that music can influence i think i'd let christine answer that question i agree um, i think for the modern student it doesn't exactly call because i know a lot of the things that we talk about are big movements like the civil rights movement or the apartheid that you mentioned but it's also just, if you really listen to lyrics, sometimes they're just talking about things going on, like, currently. So, like, granted, it's not right now, but there's songs about, like, with rap, with, like, the NWA or Kendrick Lamar that talk about issues that happened 20 years ago, like, when we were being born. Like, that they're not so far away and that, like, the individual person has, like, a say in what's, like, going on. Right. And I'm really glad she brought up Kendrick Lamar because he, he is sort of like, in many ways, the modern voice of what we're talking about, of, of a kind of many of these things, a call to action, a telling the story. Uh, many people are fans of Kendrick Lamar, so he has a kind of uniting aspect to him. Yeah. And like something like, because I was saying with like the modern uh, story, like Ken, or not Kendrick, sorry, J. J. Cole released an album and it's like for your eyes only and he there's a song off of it neighbors where he talks about how his neighbors think he's selling dope when he's supposedly just making um an album with his like friends and his record to release an album but because there's so many people in and out they thought that he was a drug dealer just based off of the fact people he had people in and out of his house or kind of the assumptions that we make yeah yeah, that's one of the songs that was brought up in our class, and it's sort of one of those songs where people listen to it and they don't think really about what the lyrics are, but then when you start like taking a class like this or thinking more about music this way, you start listening to the lyrics and you start realizing, oh, this is about, you know, racial profiling. Right. So. All right, well, thank you both so much for being here today. Yes, thank you for having us. Thanks. And thank you everyone at home for listening, and we will see you guys next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to A Smarter You, a University of Lynchburg podcast. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or TuneIn. If you'd like more episodes, be sure to rate and review, and be on the lookout for more episodes coming soon.